and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the Pack Heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, and welcome to episode 71, where today I have guest Deborah Halbach, who is the manager at the Center for Seafood Innovation at the Vancouver Island University, joining me on the show. With over 35 years of experience across the private industry and federal and provincial governments, a master's in communications and a bachelor's in food science, I couldn't have asked for a more qualified guest to help us understand the importance of a resilient domestic food supply and to provide some insight into the local food processing world. We cover a lot of ground on the show, including innovation in the seafood industry, the current labor crisis and programs that processors can engage in. It's a great episode for any food processors looking to hear some insights from one of the most well-regarded and experienced food industry professionals that you'll find. Now, before we kick off into the show, if you aren't already aware, next week from the 21st to the 24th, the CHFA Now Trade Show is being held in Vancouver. Now, on Saturday at 11.15 in the CHFA Live Podcast booth, I'll actually be having a chat with Richard Pollack, who is the President and CEO at Polling Labs. And actually, Richard appeared on episode 55, so if you want to just go back and have a listen to that episode first, it'll give you a bit of insight into the vast amount of knowledge that uh, Richard has in the industry. Now, we'll be discussing the continued and accelerated growth of the natural and organic food-based CBG market and what that means for your CBG and business. And like I said before, with Richard's perspective, which has been built from over two decades embedded in the CBG industry, I couldn't think of a better person to have this discussion with. So if you're around at that time, make sure you stop by the booth and say hello. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Hayden. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, no worries. Um, hey, listen, you've been on my radar for quite some time to bring onto the podcast because of the wealth of experience that you've got in the industry. I mean, just going through LinkedIn and looking over the 35 years of industry experience that you have, it's astounding where you've been and what you've done. And I think that you'll definitely be able to provide both myself and all of the listeners uh, that are tuning in today with a ton of insight uh, into the industry in general. Um, but what I've found the podcast has sort of turned into over time is a bit of a resource for these founders and business owners that are out there, you know, on the front lines of their business day in and day out. And I've, you know, been really fortunate enough to have Andrew Gray Grant from Good to Grow on the show, uh, Bruce Wallinger, who I know you're familiar with as well. Uh, Guy Dean, who is the GM and president at Organic Ocean. I'm not sure if you know Guy. Do you know Guy? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't spoke. I know who yeah. he is, so he's yeah. on my radar too. I need to talk to him. He's a gentleman, and uh, and also I'm really fortunate. In a couple of weeks, I'll be interviewing James Donaldson from uh, BC Food and Bev. So, listen, I'm really excited to have this chat today. So, thank you very much. That's funny. I'm I'm having dinner with James tonight, so oh, yeah? I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll tell him what kind of experience it is. Good, <laughs> bad, yeah. <laughs> Put in a good word for me. <laughs> I will, I will, I will. No worries. So where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I am from originally Winnipeg, actually, where many people are from Winnipeg, but my parents uh, moved me to British Columbia when I was two. So I've mm. been more or less, grow- well, I have totally grown up Born in and British raised. Columbia. Yeah, on, on the lower mainland. So in... Um, in, in Surrey. I like to say Cloverdale, but uh, yeah, in Surrey. I know Cloverdale and Cloverdale is booming right now. There's a lot of food um, manufacturers that are popping up there. I know Boosh is there and soon to be laid back snacks are moving out there as well, which is exciting. Oh, great. That's yeah. fantastic. Good. Yeah. yeah. I think the cost of real estate is sort of, you know, it is on the fringe of Vancouver. So there's probably a little bit more palatable, but um, yeah, I mean, there are a ton of uh, producers and manufacturers out in the Surrey region as well. It's my region, yes. actually, it's my sales region. So I'm familiar with it. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, there are for sure. Tons of people out there. Yeah. Ton- tons of companies have moved out to the new industrial park on uh, what, yeah. 16th and yeah. That whole 30, area. 30, that whole area. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Good. Yeah, that's cool. And at what point did you find yourself on the island? Oh, it took me a long time. <laughs> um, I So, yeah, I went to UBC. So, yeah, I went to UBC and then I um, I did... Uh, I did a, a co-op term in, in Germany, actually. Right. And then I went to, um, I met one of you guys in Australia and I ended up there for a couple of years. So yep. I lived in Sydney and then I went to New West, I guess. 
And then I went, there's this, there's this litany of uh, places that I lived, but, but always wanted to get to Victoria. And then I ended mm -hmm. up in Fort St. John, which is mm -hmm. in the north, northern part of British Columbia. Yeah. And I was a co-owner of a plumbing and heating shop, another man involved in that story. Mm -hmm. And um, I always said that was the far end of the food chain. It's the only time I haven't worked directly in the food industry, but I yeah. still was there, okay. far end. And then from there, I moved to Victoria. So okay. I moved here um, 20 years ago now. Yeah. Okay. And there would have yeah. been a lot of change over that 20 year period as well. Yes. Yes. I would imagine. Yes. Yes. Yes, there has. Yeah. So I love it here. I yeah. absolutely love it here. I haven't been across for a while, but yeah, I'm definitely due. My wife loves it over there as well. And and prior to working at Foodpack, I was the food service sales manager at Salt Spring Coffee. So I was getting across to the island and visiting my clients quite frequently. Um, right. Yeah, I drive as far north as VIU because um, VIU was one of my clients there. And, uh, and that's where you currently are at the moment. You're the manager of the Center for Seafood Innovation at VIU. I am. Uh, my office is in Deep Bay, which mm -hmm. is an hour north of Nanaimo. Okay. And actually, I'm really glad that you did uh, provide service to VIU because you told me about e equipment that I didn't know was there. So yeah. uh, so I went and checked it out. And sure enough, you are correct. It, the uh, pa in vacuum the... packer was in the in the culinary department. Yeah. So so, yeah, I, I've been it's just about a year now I've been with VIU and uh, yeah. at the Deep Bay Marine Field Station is where my at, uh, desk is. Mm -hmm. um, I work a lot from my home office in Victoria. Yeah. And then I, I go to Deep Bay a couple times a month. Beautiful. So yeah. just going back right to the very start, you did say that you studied it um, up at uh, UBC mm -hmm. and uh, you did your master's in communications. And I see you've also done your bachelor's in food science. So, you know, yes. historically speaking, you've been deeply tied to the science side of food. So what was it that, um, you know, attracted you to that side of the world to start with? To food? Yeah, uh, food yeah, and food yeah. science. Yeah. yeah, sure, sure. Um, I, well, I eat and, uh, and I, I, you know, I come from strong German stock and we always want to work. So work, eat, I ended up in the food industry. So Makes there's sense. never, there's never other than that, uh, seven years at the plumbing and heating company. Mm. I, uh, I've always been in the food industry. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's always. So I've worked for some pretty big companies, mm -hmm. the, the seafood companies, uh, some large distributors and, um, and then a lot of a lot of work with small companies mm. uh, over the last twelve years. I've done consulting work there. Yeah, yeah I did see that. Um, there was one particular program that um, you and I, when we first got to know each other, and I was here yes. at Food Pack, uh, you were starting to roll out the um, BC Food Business Refresh Program, which essentially, when I was looking at it, has helped seventy-five food processors pivot to address COVID challenges or capture opportunities. So, tell us a little bit about that, and you know the value that you found in working with a program like that especially, you know, when people were just in the thick of COVID and I'm sure that there were a lot of people that were sort of like frozen in motion. They weren't sure which direction to move in and, you know, what was sort of the result of the program and how has it all panned out? Yeah. So that program, you know, I, I'm just going to, I'll go back a little bit. So I did food mm. science, right. Yep. And then I, and then I worked, um, I worked in the industry. So, so seafood, and then I worked for Empress Foods, which was the supply division for Safeway. Mm -hmm. So in that role, I worked with food processing companies across North America, actually. Mm -hmm. So got a lot of experience that way. And then uh, I didn't understand how regulations worked. So I, uh, I joined Health Canada, which is now the equivalent of CFIA. Yeah. So I did food inspections for a couple of years. So learned that aspect of it. And I also worked with Department of Fisheries and Oceans um, more, more as a, uh, in the industry. And I had to work with DFO. Mm. Um, and then I went to the province and I worked in an, in an industry development capacity with the province, right? So that's where I, I really started working with, with smaller companies primarily, but bigger ones too, and looking for programs and, and uh, expertise that could help them make and market good food. So that's my segue into the, the food business refresh program. Mm. Uh, I, uh, it was actually before James Donaldson worked for uh, the, um, BC Food Processors Association, now it's BC Food and Beverage. Yeah. Uh, I was involved in the development of a program called Path to Commercialization. And, and the food business refresh was kind of based on that program. So where we were looking at um, helping companies focus in on what they needed to do in their business. And, and the refresh program was, what do you need to do to pivot out of this circumstance that you're in right now? 
And um, we worked a lot with restaurants that were looking at pivoting to retail trade. Yeah. We were working with companies that, uh, you know, very small companies that were working, uh, selling in farmers markets, and then they needed to find a different way um, to sell their products. Uh, we were working with companies that had to change their packaging, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that was a program offered by the Small Scale Food Processors Association. And it was funded by uh, Ministry of Agriculture and Western Economic Diversification. And and it was a real simple formula. Assess the situation, plan for a change, uh, and then implement. And through the program, we were able to match the participants up with coaches and experts so that they weren't on their own. And they developed essentially a mini business plan for their opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then they, then they were able to hire uh, experts that could help them with their specific area of need. So that's why I talked to you in packaging, if we had anybody who needed um, flexible packaging, or, you know, some kind of expertise in packaging, we would hook them up with you, and then Mm. you could take them to the next level. Yeah. And so we had 66, I think, companies graduated from the program. So Mm -hmm. they finished. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they went from crying at the beginning, literally, you know, Mm. we had people um, crying on on Zoom, right? Yes. And and feeling really isolated. Mm. Uh, We had participants from all over the province, uh, which was phenomenal. You know, so we had people from Williams Lake, uh, Quenelle, Haida Gwaii. Uh, you know, Surrey, Cloverdale, Vancouver Island, and they would be, and they are all together in a cohort and working Mm -hmm. together and solving problems together. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was fascinating. It was extremely, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it now, how, um, how much these people were helped. Yeah. And, um, and in fact, I am now working on, on a, on a very similar program with um, the innovation centers in, uh, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, PEI, and myself, and none of it. And right. so we're, we're looking at doing a, a business accelerator, a seafood business accelerator program. Okay. S- similar, similar idea behind uh, what we did with Refresh. Yeah. Yeah. I think these programs are amazing because it gives you a really good opportunity to sort of like dig into the inner workings of the business that you've got and the business model and see what's working. And, you know, I'm sure that a lot of these business owners had assumptions, you know, on the best way through and, uh, you know, being able to work with a mentor, as you suggested, and, you know, have deep conversations with peers as well, I can imagine would have brought a lot of comfort to them because, you know, they were able to put some things down on paper and then take action on it, which is, you know, the most critical piece of all. Yeah, well, and they know, then they find out that they're not alone, right? Because I mean, most of us in the food industry, despite, you know, everybody needing to eat, we're usually quite alone, right? Mm -hmm. And in the Mm -hmm. pandemic, they were really isolated. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so so that was one. They knew that they weren't alone. Then they got this whole host, like, like, it's a whole network of friends, right? People Mm -hmm. who are there to help them. Mm -hmm. And um, what, what I found certainly with paths to commercialization, because we did seven uh, offerings of that over the years, um, mm-hmm. they became very involved in the industry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, James Donaldson now has a number of members that are still from those, those programs. Right. And they would have never developed those relationships with the industry had they not been exposed through the programs. Because mm-hmm. we always have networking uh, events, even yep. if, if it's virtual, where we introduce them to all kinds of different people. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, they're they're fabulous. And and um, I mean, Andrea's programs are fantastic as well. Right. Yeah. You know, there's and the spring activator, any of those programs, they're all really good. Right. Yeah. They need everybody needs as much help as they can get. I agree. But there's yeah. never been such a great opportunity as there is right now to engage in a program for your business. Um, you know, there are because of the vast array of programs out there, I'm sure that, you know, either people you know, need to know about them to assess the program that is the right fit for them. So where can people go? Or where do you sort of find the best place to go to sort of hear about these programs that people can engage in? 
Um, the best place to go is through the industry associations. That's yeah. that's what I believe, right? So, yeah. um, you know, go through Small Scale Food Processors Association, Food and Beverage um, Association. Those, yeah. That's that's where you get the information. Yeah, okay. And and I mean, now nowadays, because we don't have the events, or I mean, they're picking up again, but if you can go to any of the events that are out there, um, like uh, Andrea's. Yeah, 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 I was yeah. I was actually really lucky to participate there. I was a moderator for a panel uh, at the conference the day before the trade show, and it was phenomenal. Like the amount of value that I think that the conference brought to everybody in the crowd uh, yeah. who were going to have their tables set up the following day was it was awesome. Yeah, really yeah, good. yeah, agreed, a hundred percent. Right. So you know, and and I mean, BC Food and Beverage, they have uh, regular, um, what do you call it? Uh, not Zoom, but not podcasts. But they have they have webinars, right? Webinars, so there's regular yep. webinars, and um, you know, SSFPA, small scale, they also have webinars. Mm-hmm. Um, but the face to face events are, you know, always that's the best if you can go to those. Like Food Pro is coming up in June, so so that would be a good thing. Yeah, and then. Um, like, I mean, you, you're a fabulous source, right? So listen to these podcasts. Um, uh, uh, Lord is, does the um, the business of aquaculture. So if anybody's interested in aquaculture, yeah. she's got those podcasts. So you get yep. to know who's who's in the industry and what yeah, they're doing. Yeah, and I'll put a yeah. link down to her um, podcast in the show notes as well for everybody to check out. Yeah, yep. yeah, that would be great. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. So... When I was sort of digging through it, there seemed to be a bit of a common theme with you and your career, and that is sort of food resilience and sort of, you know, where the industry can best, how we can best approach the supply chain and the resilience of and strengthen our, um, I guess, the, the resilience of our food industry. So as an industry, if we're sort of looking through the lens of a business owner, how do you best believe, or how do you believe that we can sort of turn our weaknesses into our strengths and what kind of food processor focus on to secure the supply chain in the security, for example? Hmm. Well, that, I mean, that's a loaded question. There's like, there's, you know, lots there. Yeah. You know, and I mean, so in, ter- in terms of resilience, I get, I, I'm a, I'm a real believer in that a society or people need to be able to feed themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just believe that. Right. And so, um, I, I got quite disillusioned with the industry and that's why I went and did my communications degree. So mm-hmm. I only did that. Uh, I graduated two years ago, three years ago. So I was a bit long in the tooth to go back to school, but it was great. It was fantastic because we can't get society to recognize the value of food uh, with facts and figures. Right. Mm. I think we could, we could maybe starve them and that might make them realize how important it is, but um, the food industry, particularly in British Columbia is really not supported. That's, mm my belief i mean we'll see what people say about that right but there's very little funding put that way people don't really pay that much attention it's changed a lot with the pandemic though Mm. thank goodness um Mm -hmm. so so people are starting to realize that we have to be um, concerned about our supply chain resilience Mm -hmm. so i i guess to one one of the things is that you know especially the larger companies the companies that have some some say i think advocacy is really important i think we need to put a lot more uh, effort into into communication mm-hmm. and um to to getting to getting helping society recognize uh that that food is really important and that the food system is not just farmers. Mm. So, so I do a presentation, I call it food processors need love too. Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of laughs out, out of that. But, um, it, you know, when people think of this food system, and I, and I did do my research on this, they, you know, they think farmers, right? Yeah. And even now, when you see a truck drive by, um, you know, even a dairy uh, truck drives by, and it's got the farm on there, it doesn't have, you know, I mean, what are you going to do for processing, right? We, we need to put more images of, of food, which we are doing more and more. Yeah. Um, but that that's one thing, Our, you know, society has to value food more, not just be buying the cheapest food on the market, which people still do, right? Mm. That's, that's kind of what people do. Um, so that more more emphasis on communications, and then in terms of you know to secure supply chain security, you know, simplify you know, and we're seeing that we're seeing a lot of people looking at our companies looking at shortening this their uh, supply chain, um, you know, be very 
organized. So, I mean, I don't even think anybody has to talk about traceability, that kind of thing anymore. Although in the seafood industry, yes, I think there still is, you know, a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a, lo a lot of work needs to be done with the smaller companies too. Um, and, and finally, relationships. It's always about relationships, right? So if you know uh, the different members of your supply chain, then, you know, you're, you're, you're probably going to fare better than somebody who, who doesn't have any knowledge at all of who's in their supply chain. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, um, obviously, the impact of the floods here on BC, you know, we all on the grocery shelves saw that the impact of COVID, we also the we also saw the grocery shelves being stripped bare. But to, you know, be a food processor and know that your ingredients or raw ingredients to build your product is also on the line is a really scary thought. And not yes. everybody has warehouse space to be able to, you know, purchase things in bulk so that they can, you know, warehouse a, a certain volume and comfortably rely on a, a certain amount of product to get you through a certain period of time. I was actually having this conversation with Kathleen James, who is the CEO of White Bites. Do you know Kathleen? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. And that was a really good podcast too for anyone that wants to go back and listen to that. But yeah, one of the, the things that she was really shoring up was the supply of her raw ingredients and making sure that she had certain volume in stock at any one time. So she increased her power levels, but she also did mention that she had the luxury of having warehouse space. So yes. for anybody that is out there and they don't have the warehousing space to accommodate that, what do you sort of recommend? It's a tough one, isn't it? And that's why I wanted to ask you as well, because, you know, obviously in understanding the importance and the resilience of the domestic food supply that we have is something that you're deeply aware of. But for a food processor, how do they secure stock or you know raw ingredients so that they can ensure that they can fulfill those POs that they're getting and get their product out onto the retail shelf when there is a potential to be you know for quite a threat to be there well I think if I had the answer I would be uh, very wealthy right so I mean <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, I mean it's it, uh, having an answer for that is difficult you know I guess like the the only thing to think about is if you're starting out they mm. should be considering that right if you're starting out then think about where you're getting your supply from yeah yeah. Um, you, you know, if, yeah, I don't have an answer for that. Yeah. You the know, only thing I difficult. can think of, yeah. The only thing I can think of is have like secondary vendors lined up and prepared, ready to go. So, you know, not, not just ensuring that, um, or not just, uh, sort of having one supply or one supplier to rely on. Oh, I was thinking, sure. you know, probably yeah. having multiple might be the way to go. I'm sure people are considering that or yeah. potentially drawing, you know, from a, a, a various array of suppliers, but knowing yeah. that you can pick up product at any one of the three, for example, that you've got. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. I, 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 mean, I was kind of assuming that, that, that would have already been done, but yeah, mm. you're correct. You know, like shore up other alternative sources and, and something else that I'm seeing it, and, you know, it, this goes to my earlier response is, is belonging, right? So if you belong to BC food and beverage, or yeah. you belong to small scale food processors association, I've seen both of those groups uh, actively looking for supply mm. for their members. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that, that, that's an area where, where if you belong, then you can, you can actually get some help finding mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, just pre being prepared, right. And knowing that that's a possibility, mm. um, you know, but, you know, it kind of all goes together. I've seen a couple of um, calls for, you know, and to me, these are, these are people who, who don't necessarily understand the food industry, but they're calling for, you uh, transparency with regard to ingredients and food products right and that yeah. it should all be uh you know clearly outlined on the label that you're getting your products from all over these places right which it's just not possible like if people recognize how our food system works you know that it's so global and that we're getting our supplies from all over the place yeah however if if you're building new products and you're and you're working um in the direction and you recognize that's what uh, my, the consumer is looking for is they want this transparency plus I have to look for a regular source of supply then you start developing your products with that in mind mm. you know recognizing of course it's that you know it's very complicated like you, it can't be done with everything yeah totally right? yeah I also oh. noticed that you were working uh, or you did some work with the Bias BC Food Program, which is a public awareness campaign. Tell us a little bit about that and the value that that brought to not only the people that were enrolled in the program and have got the little logo on their bags, but, you know, the, the industry in general. 
Yeah, that was, uh, uh, yeah, we played with that one a little bit. So that was the Buy BC Food Program with yeah. Safeway, right? So it wasn't, it, that was in the lull time when the, the Buy BC Program didn't really exist. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yep. yeah, that's the, you have to remember, I go, I go way back. So, um, and, and yeah, it, actually that was a super fun project um we we worked with Safeway and we had our, our own logo based on the by BC program mm-hmm. um and then we did uh we we had a competition where people had to we had all these uh champions like industry champions and and uh, uh football players and all kinds of um famous people and they ran around a Safeway store and uh, picked up as many products as they could and then we then we checked to see how many they had. It was a competition, and that meant that people were able to find the label. That's what it was all about. Right. Yeah. So it would be really good if we could do those kinds of things again, because mm. often, um, you know, the logo is hidden and it's hard to find the products. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a pretty sh- short period. I think it was only four months long, and um, and so we definitely did see an increase in the sales of those products underneath that program. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, as one of those things, there was funding, you know, for a very short period, and then it was over. And that was the end of that, right? So, right. yeah, so great program, great idea, lots of fun, brought lots of uh, PR and, and publicity. Uh, but it died. Yeah. And the reason that I sort of wanted to chat to you about it is because, you know, just walking through a grocery store there, it is so awesome to see a lot of local products in there. Like, you know, small scale producers being on the, on the grocery shelf is something that I really love to see, especially people that I've been fortunate enough to interview on the podcast. I'm like, Oh, I've spoken to them. I've spoken to them. I've spoken to them. It's really cool. But you know, it's a uh, quite a daunting task to actually get listed with a lot of these retailers. And um, you know, the approach that I have found when speaking to a lot of these business owners and operators is, you know, they obviously start, you know, with small little mom and pop shops and then they grow into larger retail banners and they start with one and that validates their product and then they can you know obviously get into uh into other retail banners with a lot more ease because it's a proven concept and you know at that point they're probably working with the distributor as well so when it comes to the buy bc logo are you familiar with that program as well is that something that you can speak to uh peripherally i can speak a little bit to it yeah yeah so i mean for a lot of these local producers out here that little logo does identify them quite well and uh you know we've got a few um we've got a few clients here at food pack that have got that little logo applied on their bag and uh yeah i was just wondering if you could actually speak to the value that you've found that it brings to people's business as well if that's something that you've got some insight on it it does it does bring value to it so you know it definitely does and and it's and it's uh it's great to identify your product underneath an existing program Mm. i and I don't know exactly how it works uh, now, but I mean, it used to be that you applied for it. And uh, if you were successful, you were able to use the logo. I think anybody can apply to use the logo, right? right. But then whether you get funding to um, to, to uh, do your campaign or, or that kind of thing is, a, is mm-hmm. another matter. And that yeah. can be quite complicated for a small operator to do mm-hmm. that kind of work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to answer you, yeah, it's fantastic, right? Like it, it really is a good idea. I, 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 the program to me kind of pits one processor against another, like one company against another. Um, and see, this is how far back I go. Um, I go back to the original by BC program that mm-hmm. was in the early in nineties. Yeah. And, and that was more of this, um, there was a lot more, uh, marketing of the program, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. that, so that it, it actually, there was, you know, and there was more a concerted effort to work with the industry, to try to get them to use, um, the, the logo and help them and put the shelf tags on and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So now it's more hands-off, right? Yeah. Got you. So, um, so I, I'll say, yes, it's great. If, you know, if you can do it, do it. There are other logos out there. Like there's the, um, the, the good food, uh, logo on Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. I think it's called the Good Food logo. Um, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, it's so it's it marks uh, Vancouver Island uh, companies. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know you apply for it as well, and then you're able to use um, use that logo as well. So so any of those things are are valuable. I I would say as a processor, uh, look for the one that has the broadest scope, 
right? Okay. Because otherwise you end up with, you know, all these different logos and, um, yeah, and whatever's going to give you the best mileage, right? So the, so consumers are looking for the buy BC. So that's fantastic. So yeah. by all means, go for it. Yep. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that the other provinces around do have these programs as well. I'm just not familiar with them. Are you familiar with any of the other provincial programs like that? Yeah, a little bit, right? So I yeah. mean, because I've been working with the, the Maritimes um, a, a lot lately, right? So they have programs too. Yep. So it's one of those things though that, um, you know, you need to take a look at you know who are your customers, who are your clients, right? Mm. So if I'm a if I'm a, a BC processor and I'm selling in Ontario, you know, buy BC is not going to do much yeah. for me, yeah, right. Um, so then maybe there's something else that would be uh, you know more appropriate, mm -hmm. uh, or you know, and I mean, how do you differentiate your packaging? Like if you're going, if you are going to do a run of packaging and you put the buy BC logo on there, you know, in some cases out of province, it actually would be a detriment. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. So you so you do need to take a look at that, and I don't know, I'm not aware of a Canadian one uh, mm. for for domestic. Yeah, well, in Australia we've got the little uh, the kangaroo the logo yeah, of a kangaroo which makes correct. it extremely identifiable the you know i'm sure a lot of new zealand traders leverage the silver fern you know like they're definitely identifiable and in canada obviously you've got the maple leaf and i know that when you go to the airport you know like if you see that maple leaf you obviously so obviously identifiable that it's a canadian product so i'm sure that there are little hacks you know around it but i'm not sure if they're actually like if they're recognized programs there's something i should look into yeah, yeah, it is. It is actually now that you see, because I, mm. so I know it, like I'm working on a, on a project for uh, marketing Canadian seafood, domestic mm -hmm. seafood. Yeah. And uh, there is a lot of interest, which is fantastic mm. because, you know, the, up until now, um, our seafood has mainly been exported. Yeah. So there is interest in, in building that domestic market, but mm -hmm. will there be some kind of trade identifier? Yeah. Um, and one would think so. I mean, yep. and seafood would be fantastic, right? Because you go, go into the freezer or the fridge um, now and yep. uh, you don't know what's from BC or what's from Canada and it's all just mixed together, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the seafood industry, which is where you're deeply embedded right now, you know, considering the fact that you're the manager of the seafood, the Center for yeah. Seafood yeah. Innovation, where yeah. is all of the innovation coming from? What does that mean? You know, the innovation in the seafood industry, where is it sort of at and where is it going? Oh my goodness. I, I, I'm applying the seaweed against the wall method on this right now. Um, Hayden. Yeah. Um, you know, innovation is, is one of those nebulous terms, right? So it, it, it can, you can apply it to many different things. Yeah. Uh, when I first came into this role uh, roughly a year ago, I, you know, I thought that we would be innovating in terms of new product development. We'd be innovating in terms of, you know, maybe new, new packaging um, and, and, you know, that that was kind of it. I have a kitchen. I have a culinary department. I have um, I, I have access to doing that kind of work. Mm. However, the situation in the industry is uh, is it's just um, it's really challenging, right? So we've got the labor um, the labor shortage is unbelievable. I mean, right. it's always been a problem, and or it has been for the last couple of decades in the seafood industry, mm -hmm. more so I think than any other. Um, then we also have the regulation, uh, situation, which, um, please don't ask me about that because it's very complicated. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, uh, we have, we have the public perception issues as well. Mm -hmm. And as a result, when I talk to operators, not all, but when I talk to operators in the seafood industry, they, you know, they're, they're like, well, you know, I'm not going to invest in product development right now, <laughs> right? I don't have enough people to, to do what I'm doing, you know, and I don't know if I have supply. Mm. So when you ask me where is innovation required, innovation is required in uh, labor. Yeah. How are we going to attract uh, people to this industry? How are we going to use, uh, how are we going to innovate so that we can use the same types of programs that are available to uh, agriculture and food processing mm. in the seafood sector? Mm -hmm. um, how can we be innovative in our communications so that people recognize, you know, again, that we have to eat and that we have, I mean, Canada boasts three oceans, like, you know, we almost have as much, well, we probably have more than Australia, given more our size, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
And, and yeah, and we used to be the top um, trade partner in, in the seafood industry. And now I don't know, we're down to eight or nine or like, we're like, we've fallen way behind. Right. Right. And we, you know, we need to innovate in production and in uh, efficiencies. Like, can we increase our efficiency? Can we, um, you know, accelerate our processing, uh, get away from all the hand labor. Yeah. So that's where I'm seeing, you know, more where I have to concentrate on innovation now. I and and then also looking at innovative species, like or not innovative, but new, you know, alternative species, and how can we utilize waste? Yes. Because uh, we're seeing a lot of a lot of our 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 fish and seafood is just going to waste. Really. Right. So how you know can we use uh, all parts of the fish? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or all parts of the shellfish. So, so yeah. So that's, that's where I'm using that term very broadly, right? Yeah. Now, right. Yeah. 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 It sounds yeah. like, you know, when there's a lot of issues that are, you know, broad issues throughout an industry, it must be quite daunting to sort of know where to start and, you know, where to sort of focus your resources. So I guess with the students that you're working with, or working yeah would you suggest that you know the students are focused on any area in particular or does everybody have sort of their own niche that they're focused on well I, i'm in a really enviable position i don't have any students right like so oh, I, right. I i, I okay. come up i come up with projects and then i kind of cherry pick which students i want got right you, so you. if yeah. i need a you know if i want to work with a a digital communication student was like, okay, well, we'll do that or planning or, or tourism and recreation um, yeah. you know, or culinary. Right. So, yeah. so where I'm at right now, the, the seafood innovation center or center for seafood innovation at BIU mm. is, is new, uh, you know, and I'm sort of carving my way to see how can I work with students and how mm -hmm. can I work with instructors to give them experiential learning opportunities right and to to broaden what they're doing make their experience better mm -hmm. and uh i mean it's it'll sound a little bit smug of me but it's really easy because the food industry is really sexy even though most people don't see it that way right so i you know i i took a, a group of students to um uh, Patricia's uh, place at uh, HPP Canada. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. On Anasis right? Island. I've been there. Yes, it's awesome, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. a great facility. Yeah. Yeah. So I took took them there and we put a, we put about 1,500 oysters through her system and wow. they, they got to uh, shuck oysters the easy way. And, you know, they, they would have never had that kind of experience, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I had them out at the aquaculture farm. We have an aquaculture farm at Deep Bay where okay. we do... Um, uh, oyster breeding and scallop yep. breeding so they went out on the boat and they got to see the the um the rafts and the oysters and you know the sea lions that are out there and everything mm -hmm. else so so i i'm i'm very very fortunate and it and it's like the light bulb goes off you know i can mm -hmm. watch that light bulb happen right like mm -hmm. you know like we're not taking this course um you know in biology just to see the the bivalve right we're actually taking this because we want to help this bivalve live so that we can provide it as food to somebody mm -hmm. and and that was kind of a missing link and now yep. it's happening right so yeah. so there's they're seeing the whole continuum yeah now that's know? so important yeah yeah I was fortunate enough to have a really great conversation with Bruce Wallinger, who's a board member of the um, Pacific Seaweed Association. Yes. And, you know, he really shone the light on, uh, you know, the emerging seaweed industry here in BC and Canada for that matter. And uh, sort of the benefits there, not only in terms of the environmental benefits of, you know, sequestering carbon from our atmosphere and, you know, um, creating healthy shorelines, but also for food security and also for, you know, potential uses as a bioplastic. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of innovation going on in that area as well. Are you involved in seaweed at all? I I am I'm sitting in the wings. So that's like my seaweed against the wall. Yes, I yep. would I would really like to be. Um, there's tons of interest, like you say, in seaweed. Tons, yeah. And uh, the, you know, there's you know, I'll use the word sexy again. It's you know meant to be the solution for just about everything. Yeah um so so yes where i'm at with seaweed is um identifying partners to work with mm. and my belief is one of the first places we have to start is is we have to do some market research we have to understand uh what it is we're going to do with the seaweed yeah 
the you know which markets are available to us and and then and then we need to to get the equipment and get going mm-hmm. and i my i i'm at the where is the money going to come from to do yeah. this work yeah. right so there's not a lot of money that i'm aware of and maybe one of your listeners some of your listeners might know but there's not a lot of money available for market research mm. it's not considered research right so none of the uh, the research programs that i work with uh, can fund it mm-hmm. and um you know any other kind of research has to be done in partnership with with industry mm. so i have been talking to bruce and yep. with mark smith and I also um, talked with Naomi Tabata at uh, North Island College. I had a meeting with her yesterday. Right. So definitely on, you know, very high up on my priority list. It's just a matter of, of how do we, how do, you how, do we how do we go forward, right? Yeah. So I, so I, I have an idea, like you know, for quite a sweeping program, much like, well, not really. Many years ago, I did a program called Opportunities for Ethnic Food Manufacturing, which mm-hmm. involved uh, looking at the markets, looking at the technology, doing technology missions, doing um, incoming uh, missions, ex- you know, and then outgoing missions to identify what was available. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that those that would be really good with seaweed to do something like that. Yeah. Right. When it comes to the market research component, you know, essentially you were saying it's not considered research, but it's almost the ultimate research because finding that product market fit is so critical for the success of any business or at least the ability to make decisions for your business. And, uh, you know, when you're working on that qualitative and quantitative component of it all, where do you typically start? And, you know, you said that there is, you know, you're always sort of trying to figure out where the money's coming from. Is it technically like an expensive endeavor for you to embark on a market research program like that? Uh, you know, I don't think it, it would have to be overly expensive, yeah. but I mean, it's, you know, it's the, the, you know, there has to be some money in order to undertake the market research. Right. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and I like, I don't, you know, maybe I, I, I don't think that the Pacific seaweed association has done that, right. right. Like that, that they've undertaken it. Cause I think they have the same issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, you know, I don't know, throw something out there, maybe $50,000 or something like that to do yeah. some research, uh, you know, that, you know, what, what could British, the British Columbia seaweed industry do? Mm-hmm. What are the markets for the seaweed that we produce? Yeah. Uh, I, I, it may already be done. I, but as far as so far in, you know, in the year that I've been here, I haven't seen that. Mm. And, and what I see is a lot is people saying, well, we need equipment. Right, we need equipment to produce uh, to to process. So yep. so and and the idea is that we need equipment to process the seaweed close to harvest. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense. Because it's right? a short either, window. Yeah. It's a very short window. So whether it's whether it's dried or frozen or or you know something, but yeah. I I think that we need to know what the tertiary product is going to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Before we decide what we're going to do with the, you know, the bulk product. Yeah. 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 Now that makes sense. I I mean, essentially like that's going to, it's going to make it very clear, you know, where that product can be siphoned off to, whether it is, you know, siphoned off into the plastics industry into it and turned into a bioplastic or a rubber, for example, or into the food uh, space as well. You know, it will be interesting to sort of see where the vast majority of the opportunity crops up for you. Yeah, it, it will be. And I, I like I imagine that there's research being done somewhere in the world yep. on the bioplastic because and that would be expensive. Right. Yeah. So that kind of that would be a big uh, expensive research project. Yeah. And it, I'm sure it's being done somewhere. It is. Yeah. No, yeah. there are quite a few both private companies and also universities focusing on the bioplastic side of things when it comes to seaweed and what can be done. Yes. And there is a yeah not only a lot of innovation being done in that space, but from what I understand, and it's very limited amount of information that I am drawing this from, but there seems to be quite a ways to go in terms of scaling up production of it. And it's not going to be the answer to, you know, our plastic problems here. It's got to sort of come from multiple vectors, but I think that, you know, that that component is going to play a huge role when it comes to the compostability of plastics, um, especially in the food industry. So right now, you know, it's been identified quite a few times on this podcast and it's a conversation I love to continue is the end of life systems that are currently in place for flexible packaging. So here in BC, um, you know, we've sort of got 
really only one solution. And this is sort of the, the vast solution for the majority of Canada in that no flexible packaging is curbside recyclable. So you can't put it in your blue bin at home because we don't have the infrastructure in place to collect it and then process it and turn it into like park benches and so on. So what you can do or what a consumer can do is take it to a Recycle BC depot where they'll collect it and shred it, pelletize it, and then turn it into engineered fuel. So that's sort of one option. Um, the other option is compostable like plastics. Um, but the unfortunate thing right now is that industrial composting facilities aren't accepting any flexible packaging, even if it's certified compostable, industrially compostable into their streams, because it can't be identified. You know, the print technology is so good these days that you couldn't identify the two structures. So rather than potentially, um, uh, potentially, uh, you know, add an element, to, you know, add this element into their compost when it's not a compostable product, they just won't allow anything in. And so I'm sort of get, trying my hardest to get to the bottom of, you know, where all of the bottlenecks are, who all of the players are in the industry and who's making decisions. And once again, like you said, where the money's coming from, yeah. because at the moment, um, you know, the collection and recovery or and recycling of these materials, there's no money in it. Like there's just, it doesn't make financial sense for a, a privately owned company to, in, you know, embark on that yeah. process. Yeah. So um you know, there are a couple of options out there, like there are monostructures, which means it's, you know, uh, a material structure that's made out of the same type of plastic. So it's considered a number four or a number two resin code so that you can use that recycling symbol and we can, you know, produce and uh, supply our partners with those products. But once again, it's going to go in the same place as all of the other flexible packaging. But if we did have the infrastructure here to process them, it could technically be recycled. Um, and then the other one is, you know, the composting component of it, it's not suitable for all food types. So, you know, if you've got a compostable pouch and you want to put a liquid-based food in it, for example, it's going to actually start degrading yeah. on the retail shelf, which really sucks. Um, so, you know, the technology has got a long way to go if compostable is going to be a, a huge solution there. But we also need to have the end of systems, end of life systems in place to support it all. So, you know, I think we do have a long way to go, but it will be interesting, like I said, to sort of see how seaweed sort of fits into the into the program with the bioplastics and, you know, where it all washes out. Yeah, no, I, I 100 percent. I 100 percent. And I, I mean, it's good to hear that you, that you've got all all this knowledge. And I know because we've talked about this before. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, the first thing that, uh, you know, people come up, we do a, we do a monthly uh, show, I was going to say, but we do a monthly uh, luncheon and, and we talk about the research that we've done at BIU. Mm -hmm. And, and thank you, by the way, for helping us with the modified atmosphere packaging oh, project that no we're worries. working on. But the first thing that comes up is plastic, you know, yeah. and what are we going to do with all this plastic? Mm. And it's fun, you know, I don't know, it's really too bad that we don't have, there, there should be support for this end of life, um, yeah. uh, you know, technology that that's required, because why should private industry, why would private industry invest in that? Yeah, I don't know. And, you know, um, like you were suggesting about the market research, you know, that you that you feel is missing, you also said that it could also potentially be being done somewhere. You know, yeah. like I don't have all of the answers and I'm trying to sort of get to the bottom of it. So if there are any listeners out there that do ha does have this knowledge, you know, and it seems to be, you know, I'm missing something critical in, you know, my, you know, my understanding of the end of life systems that are currently in place in BC and Canada, or if there's somebody out there that can connect me with somebody that, um, you know, does know all of the answers or, you know, knows who it is that I should speak to next, please uh, reach out and shoot me an email because I, uh, I really want to get a good grip on it and, uh, you know, help educate everybody on the program that's currently in place and uh, the future of the end of life systems for flexible packaging. It's uh, I find it a very important component of it. What is what is it? Isn't it called Multi-Materials Canada or something? Like, what are they doing about flexible packaging? You know what? That I've never heard of them. Multi-Materials Canada. I haven't heard of them. I think that's what it's called. Okay. Um, but um, I'm I'm trying to. I can't remember the the fellow's name. But if I remember it, I'll let you know. Yeah, please do um, that. But because I, I'm just listening to you, like the, like this is sort of like there there should be some sort of working group or or something working on this not just Hayden putting yeah, all the and, information and you know together what? right <laughs> yeah absolutely right and there may well be and I mean I've been putting the feelers out there and you know yeah. trying to connect with as many people as I can out in the industry to sort of see what's being done or see if there are any associations or you know yeah. uh, I just I need to get to the bottom of it so yeah like I said if there's anyone out there that you know knows something that I don't know please let me know
<laughs> yeah, he, you know, be, and I'll just say, you know, whenever we we've started these programs for the entrepreneurs, right, and they come mm. in, and the first thing they always say is, you know, okay, well, we we don't want to use plastic, yeah. right? So you know, yeah. the refresh, we, and I mean, you would hear that all the time, right? Every day, every day, uh, yeah. And then it's like, well, you know what? That's not what you're going to die on, right? Like, I mean, if that's not the hill you should choose to die on, because if if that's what you want to do, most of the time you're you're just not going to be able to move forward. Well, you're never going to get your product onto the retail shelf because yeah. it's not going to have the shelf life that is required to, you know, get it out into the world. And um, and unfortunately, like I can supply our clients with a compostable or a monostructure material. But it's sort of like an, it's a useless exercise until the end of life system is in place to support it because you're spending, you know, extra dollars on this material and so on. And then it's going to end up either in the landfill or, uh, you know, or it's going to get turned into engineered fuel, which is upcycling. You know, it is a better solution than ending up in the, um, in the landfill. But at the end of the day, you know, for some organizations it's a marketing exercise and then for others they're like why would we you know say that we're doing something that isn't really there and you know we might as well educate our our consumers um on what the reality is and then there are other some really other good programs in place as well so i'm about to get repurposed global on the show as well to have an in-depth conversation about what they do and uh, they certify organizations as either plastic neutral or plastic negative. And I've had a few um, conversations about it on the show, but they're a great solution because it's kind of like carbon offsetting. So, you know, they calculate the volume of plastic that your, um, that your company's putting out into the world. And then they actively collect either the, you know, the same amount or more so that you're certified as plastic neutral or plastic negative. It's really cool. Ah, what's that called? Repurpose Global. Repurpose Global, you should check them out. They're doing some great things. And I've got a couple of clients here at Food Pack that are engaged in the program and they speak so highly of it. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely. I'll put the link down in the show notes out there for anybody in uh, that wants to check them out. But it's definitely a solution that is real and uh, and they're doing some really good work out there. Okay, that's good. Uh, and then there's a, there's a company in Halifax that is doing some work with compostable film. Right. Over over uh seafood actually oh cool and they're and they're spraying it with some, anyhow I'll see i'll see if i can find some yeah dig it up for I'll, me that'd I'll, be great yeah, and i'll send that to you as well i can't yeah. i can't i was anyhow i didn't want to be looking while we were talking <laughs> that's all right no um, worries I'll look, I'll look for that for you too thank you hey yeah. deborah as we suggested or as i suggested at the start of the podcast you know you've been deeply embedded in this industry for well over 35 years and i'm sure that a lot of people sort of look to you as a mentor and somebody that they can approach to have really deep and meaningful conversations with about the industry and sort of the direction that they may potentially be going so you'd be offering them advice but did you have any uh, mentors throughout your career that you know you speak highly of or that have you've got some great stories about I, I do. I, I mean, I, I really believe in fostering relationships over the years. So, you know, I actually still um, I, I still talk on on occasion, not that often, but I went for lunch with uh, with one of the past one of the people that I used to work with um, there and they're all long retired. But Jerry Gerbassi was my boss at Empress Foods. And, you know, he took me on second year food science and taught me pretty much everything I know, right, wow. in terms of uh, food science and, and allowed me as a 20-something you know, uh, person to travel across uh, North America and, and, and inspect or, or make sure that the companies met our product specifications. So, so I, I, I've always, yeah, I've always surrounded myself with mentors. So mm. when I, when I um, had my position at the Ministry of Agriculture the first time, I um, put together a, a mentor group okay. of, of food processing industry people that I knew, and I met with them regularly to find out what it is that uh, they, I could do to help. Right. Right. And uh, now that I, you know, fast forward now where I am now, I, I do I have a fantastic advisory um, pa uh, group that I, that I call on yeah. uh, um, that, that are from all, all different levels of the food industry. Yeah. I, uh, you know, and this time I chose them specific for the startup of something new. Yeah. And, and uh, like I said, I draw on their expertise all the time. Yeah. That's fantastic. I think yeah. it is so important for anybody out there, you know, who does feel as if they're in it 
on their own, you know, especially, you know, they may be just busy on the front lines of their business to create a network of people that you can, you know, reliably call upon to bounce ideas and questions off. And um, it sounds to me that it's something that you've leveraged throughout your whole career. Always. Yeah, always. And, and now, you know, now it's, it's, it's fantastic. I'm now I'm giving back. Yeah. You know, I have, I have um, young people that I'm working with at the university, which is absolutely fantastic. And, and, you know, helping them move forward. So yeah. So giving back now, but it's great. Yeah. That's always rely on mentors. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've been thinking about is the heaviness of the world at the moment. Like I feel as if all of the headlines are just overwhelming, whether it's about our the future of climate change or the health of the oceans or the security of our food or the impending earthquake here on the West Coast or the war in Ukraine. Like there's just so much, you know, you name it, throw in COVID. And, um, and the one thing that I wanted to ask you was, you know, being working in the position that you are right now, you know, trying to innovate and be on the forefront of change in the food industry and working with young students that are, you know, focused on their career or potential career in the industry and, um, you know, all of the things that they could potentially work on and problems that they can solve. It must bring a really sort of positive air to the world that we're sort of confronted with at the moment. Are you finding that, you know, despite all of the negativity in the world, that you sort of see a path through it just because of the quality of the students that you are engaged with at the moment? Uh, Yes, I guess, I you know, because I, to me, everything centers around food, right? Yeah. And and yeah. we've forgotten that as a society. Yeah. You know, I, re- I I really believe that. And so much of what I'm doing now is is helping people rediscover the value of food, but not just the value of food, the value of food production and yeah. having access to food um, domestically. Yeah. You know, and I I'm not I'm not anti-trade by any means, you know, at all. Mm. Um, but if we can't feed our own society when we used to like there's something really wrong you know when we're in a in a a country like Canada that has access to all these raw materials and everything else and we can't feed ourselves like that's that's wrong that's a huge and 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 by I've been helping out um with Royal Roads uh MBA program by by asking them and then helping them identify food companies uh, to feature in their program. And so, you know, by doing that, I, you're taking 50 mid-career uh, business experts and exposing them to the food industry. And, and originally it was, it was like, well, you know, food's not really all that diverse. It's not really complicated. You know, it's not going to teach our students um, what they need to know about business, mm. but that's changed, right? So now they've recognized like, wow, this is really complicated and it's so important. And, and, yeah, I'm hopeful, you know, I'm hopeful that I, I think I've finally discovered uh, o- open ears, you know, like, like, if you're working with students that, um, like, they're open to to understand, like, they may come into it thinking that everything is unsustainable, and that, you know, it's all lost, and then they realize, no, that's not the case, actually, like, we, we do have access to lots of sustainable food supplies, and, and we, and, but we need to foster that. Yeah, that's right. the answer that I was hoping you'd give. So thank you. That's great to hear. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good. Um, if we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you'd had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished? Um, I would have accomplished uh, having several people walk up to my desk with bags of gold and say to me, <laughs> <laughs> we want retire. you to, <laughs> no, we want you to use this to put on the programs, right? So yeah. like everything that I'm doing right now is, you know, is piecemeal. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I and everything I've got a, you know, I'm humping up tables and moving chairs and and uh, doing yeah. all these things myself in order to put on events and bring people to the center and to, you know, to help put projects together. So yeah, if I if I had a very successful year, it would be I that I had been successful in in putting together a proposal for um, some funding that yeah. would enable me to work mm-hmm. instead of just looking for little projects, you know, dimes under the table yeah. and that kind of thing, right? Understood. Yeah, and you know, and that I'm we've we've in the past year we've had 
My gosh, you know, it's going to be, we'll, we'll have a couple hundred people that have come through events and they've learned about the research that we're doing at BIU yep. and, um, you know, probably 40-ish students that have been exposed to the kind of work that we're doing and a couple of industry members. So it, yeah, if, if we continue doing that, that'd be great. Perfect. Yeah. Well, yeah. listen, it sounds like you've got a big year ahead of you. Yeah, it's, it's, this is my capstone project, everybody says. But yeah, it, it's, it's enabled me or it's enabling me to use absolutely everything that I've ever done over yeah. the years. Yeah, yeah. 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 It Which sounds like, yeah. And I mean, I recommend that anybody or that anybody interested goes along and checks out um, Deborah's LinkedIn profile because, you know, Deborah, you do have a wealth of experience there. And, you know, unless you do immerse yourself in the industry, you just don't get the amount of knowledge that you've managed to garner over time. And, uh, you know, for you to invest it all into this final project, as you just said, uh, would feel really cool, you know, just due to the fact of, you know, all of the people that you've met along the way and all of the resources that you can generate. So congratulations on, on such a successful career to date. And thank you very much for the opportunity to chat today. Oh, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much, Hayden. You're doing a great job, actually. I'm really, really happy that you're doing what you're doing. Well, thank you. That means a lot coming from you too. Yeah, good. Awesome. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions from today's episode or would like to know more about what I can do to help you achieve your packaging vision, you can reach me directly at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You could DM me on Instagram at thepackheavypodcast or we could also connect on LinkedIn and start a conversation there. I'll see you next week.